0: John 20, verse 1, says this. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved, and said, they've taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and I don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both are running. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looking at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed, though still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at his head and one at the foot. They asked her, "'Woman, why are you crying?' They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you were looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned around and cried out in Aramaic Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me. I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them. I'm returning to the Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary went to the disciples with the news. I have sinned the Lord. And she told him the things that he had said to her. And let's read very briefly from 1 Corinthians 15. Starting at verse 20, which is on 1205 in the Bibles. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own turn. Christ the first fruits then, when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come, and he hands over the kingdom God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be defeated is death. Let's pray. Lord, as we reflect on Easter, on the Easter message and what you being risen back to life means, we thank you, we honor you, we pray that you speak to us this morning. We ask these things in your name. Amen. So, Happy Easter, everyone. It is wonderful to see so many of y'all out this morning. Uh, I didn't introduce myself before. My name is James. I'm the pastor at Wellspring. And I will say this is a really exciting Sunday for me because I've been here for nearly three years, uh, three, we- three years and a couple of weeks time. And this is the first in-person Easter message that I have preached, <laughs> yeah, right. the first one the first one was over Zoom, and that was kind of cool and kind of novelty, and like, ooh, that's edgy, I wonder how many Easter services have been done over Zoom, and then of course the second one was like, we've been doing this a year, <laughs> I have no energy for Zoom Church anymore, I have no energy for live streams, uh, hello to the people on the live stream, by the way, uh, you're welcome, and thank you for joining us, So, we get to be in person, and that is, as it turns out, a real novelty, and and something I guess I shouldn't take for granted. But we are here, and thank you for joining us on what uh, I think most Christians would agree is the most important day of the year, commemorating Easter, which I would argue is the most important day in all of human history. Christ is risen! Do you not say hallelujah here? Is that an English thing? Anyway, we we all agree that he's risen, so that's great. <laughs> but I, I, that's that's pretty broad. Uh, death is beaten, Christ is risen. These are some broad things. I want to I want to go down a little bit. Let's not start with anything too broad. Let's just start by spending a moment with Mary, because uh, that's what Jesus does. And that's a good thing to do. And if you only have one takeaway this morning, take away it's, it's good to do what Jesus does. I want to spend a moment with Mary that morning before she met Jesus. To spend a moment with her in that grief that she was experiencing. Because so often we we kind of rush to the end of the story, and it's good, and we should be people of the resurrection, and we should spend most of our time thinking about that. But there is something about knowing the the end of a movie. Like when you know a movie has a happy ending, it means that second act doesn't hurt quite as much when you know that it's it's all going to work out. And Mary, in this moment at the start of Easter Sunday morning, she didn't know that that happy ending was coming. She didn't know what was going to happen. She couldn't have known what was going to happen. And her response to finding the tomb empty is one of despair. They have taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they've put him. Let's be clear. This is not due to a lack of faith on Mary's behalf. I would argue that Mary is probably Jesus most faithful follower in all of scripture. Uh, She's weaved throughout the Gospels, and every time she comes up, she's just awesome. Uh, In Luke 8, we actually hear that it's Mary Magdalene and a few other women that fund Jesus's ministry. So the reason that he's able to walk around and do what he does is because Mary and a few of her friends are funding it. Uh, In Luke 10, we hear about how she's desperate to be at the feet of Jesus. that The disciples would gather in Mary's family's home. They'd spend time there together. And of course, Mary was expected to be in the kitchen. That's where the woman should have been. Uh, But she couldn't bear to be away from Jesus. And Jesus says, you've chosen the right thing. She's so devoted to Jesus. It's, It's really beautiful. Every time we see Mary, she's totally devoted to him. Mary seems to be one of the few people that understands what's going to happen on Good Friday. That so many of his disciples are like, okay, how are we going to win this thing? Uh, We're going to ride in, we're going to be triumphant. But Mary instead anoints him for burial. We hear in John 10, John 12 rather, that she uh, anoints his feet with perfume. Can you imagine the the tenderness of that moment. Being that close to Jesus and, and, and rubbing his feet and washing the dirt off with her hair. How close do you think they have to be? Jesus washed the disciples' feet, but it was Mary that washed the feet of Jesus. And of course, during the Passion when Peter has denied and Judas has betrayed, and the other male disciples have fallen asleep and ran away, it's Mary that we find at the foot of the cross. She's never left Jesus' side, and now she, she stares at those same feet that just a few days earlier she had, had anointed and made clean, and now they're, they're nail-pierced. And she watches them take away her Lord in front of her eyes. And so it really makes sense to me that the one that anointed him for his burial in life and was the last person to see him alive would be the first one there at his tomb. But instead of finding Jesus' body, she finds nothing. Like, this has been a really rough week for Mary. And the icing on the cake is that now she can't even honor the body of her friend. She can't even prepare him for burial. They have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they have put him. So let, let's spend a moment there, like in the sorrow, with a woman who sinned her wise teacher, her, her dearest friend, Someone who's defined her existence, her life, has given her purpose, has sinned her for all that she can be, and she's <laughs> she's seen him murdered just a couple of days earlier. In this moment, Mary doesn't know that it's going to get better, and and she doesn't know how close Jesus is. We know how this story ends, and that's a good thing. But I think it softens the cruelty of it all. Most of us probably weren't surprised by the reading this morning, and it's a great reading, and I've read it about 20 times this week, and I I encourage you to do so, but I wasn't surprised by what I read. But I will say that whilst I, I can't know her sorrow, from having lost a Jesus she doesn't know he's coming back. I also, I cannot know Mary's joy about hearing him speak her name. And he probably mentioned her name dozens, hundreds of times over the last few years. They were clearly so close. But this time, she didn't think she was ever going to hear him speak her name again. And there it is, Mary. And while so many in Jesus' life had called for signs and wonders and miracles and these great displays of power, you say you're the Messiah, you say you're the Savior, prove it. (laughs) Do those things that show us you are as powerful. Show us you are who you say that you are. The only proof that Mary needed was him to speak her name. I think it is particularly significant that it is Mary that Jesus first appeared to. If it, were, it would have made a lot of sense for Jesus to appear in front of Caesar, right? And say, just so you know, you killed me and I'm back and I am who I say that I am. <laughs> but of course he doesn't do that. He goes to the person that has been faithful to him for so long. Mary thought that they had taken her Lord away, but they did not, and they could not, because Jesus was not theirs to take. Jesus wasn't taken away by the religious leaders that tried to thwart him in life, and he wasn't taken away by the Romans that mocked him and tortured him, and he wasn't taken by the crowd that cheered for his execution or for the executioner that nailed him to the cross. They couldn't take him away because he wasn't theirs to take. He belonged to the Father, and nothing could ever change that. No one could take him away. And so with just saying her name, he's saying, Mary, I don't belong to them, but now and forever, you belong to me. I'm exactly who I said I am. I'm exactly who you thought I was. And now you belong to me forever. but I think there are still a whole lot of people out there that do not know how much Jesus loves them. And, and Mary's words, they've taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they've put him. I think that rings in the ears of a whole bunch of people right now, people that might not feel welcome in churches Those words ring loud when when I look at the state of Christianity, to be honest with you, that there are so many people that feel left out or shoved aside or excluded or forgotten from a Christian community. Evangelical Christians seem to be better known for whom we keep out rather than whom we welcome. And when we don't love those people unconditionally, it can mean they feel that their Lord has been taken away. When we take the Jesus that feasts and parties and laughs and defends the most sexually immoral of his time, and we take that Jesus away and instead we replace him and we base church inclusion and exclusion on who people love, we are taking their Lord away. When we take that same Jesus that despised sickness and whose ministry is defined by curing the ill and healing the lame, when we take that Jesus away and we replace him with a Jesus that gets super mad about mandates, (laughs) when really we're just trying to keep people safe, I think we're taking their Lord away. When we take away the Jesus that chooses the donkey over the war horse and peace over the sword and dying over killing, and we replace him, with one that demands a death penalty or war or violence and to hate our enemies instead of loving them. We are taking their Lord away, and I don't know where we are putting him. I was I was on a call last week uh, with the Women's Speaker Collective, which <laughs> is impressive. I'm still not entirely sure how I got invited to be on a call with the Women's Speaker Collective, but uh, my friend runs it, and. Uh, I think she thought I had some useful things to say. And this was a a sermon prep time, so women from all over the world getting together and and sharing notes and and, uh, encouraging one another. And so we went around and asked people. It was Palm Sunday, so it was a week and a bit ago. And people shared what they wanted to speak on and kind of the themes of their message. Uh, and, And we got to one woman, and she said, well, I'm actually part of a church that doesn't allow women to preach. So I've written a lot of sermons over the years, um, but I've never had an opportunity or a platform to share them. And uh, and those of you that know me know, I don't have an awful lot of patience uh, for people that oppress women. I don't know. <laughs> it seems like an okay thing to not have patience for. But, but I, I rolled my eyes and I bit my tongue and I stayed silent. But but they have taken her, her Lord away. Let's be clear. They have taken her Lord away. And I don't know where they've put him. They have taken that same Lord that appears to Mary at the tomb and says, go and tell the others Go and tell them, Mary. The first evangelist of the risen Christ is commanded by Christ himself to tell the world he is risen. All of us heard about Jesus from someone who heard about Jesus from someone who heard about Jesus from someone who heard about Jesus from someone going all the way back 2,000 years and it starts with Mary being told by Jesus, go and tell them that I am risen. But, But... Jesus doesn't belong to to the racists or the sexists or the warmongers because he is not theirs to take. But but let's remember that much like Mary at the tomb, there are still people waiting to hear Jesus' voice. And it's a voice that has been... Drowned out by so much noise, by so much confusion, by so many lies over who Jesus is and the things that he said and the people that he spent his time with. And, and much like Mary on that morning, they can't see things getting better. And, and if you're here and that applies to you, or if you're watching online or listening online and that applies to you, then, then I'm sorry and I, I want to make it right and I want to show you the Jesus that I know and I want to show you the Jesus that loves you and the Jesus that gently speaks your name when everything feels broken and lost. But I am sorry if you feel that your Lord has been taken away because whoever took him away. Jesus doesn't belong to them. And just like Mary, and just like me, and just like the people who have been able to hear his voice, you belong to him. And nothing can change that. Let's let's finish this on a high. (laughs) That was kind of down, but that's okay. I think it's okay to spend a little bit of time there. But let's let's end on a high. Uh, And it's kind of a bit more abstract than the rest, so it's okay if it takes a little bit of time uh, to protest this. That's okay. Um, But let's let's go for it. There there is one more entity or place or being that I haven't mentioned that tried to take Jesus away, which which is kind of the core of its Easter message, and what tried to take Jesus away was was the devil, it was hell itself. Hell and death tried to take Jesus, but Jesus was not hell's to take. Uh, let's. I'll go from uh, 1 Corinthians just very quickly again. It says that when the end will come, when he hands over kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion and authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. I want us to think about what it really means for death to be defeated, for death to be totally swallowed up in victory. I I preached about this last year at Easter, and and it's quite a lot, so if you still got some questions, that's okay. Come talk to me afterwards or listen to the other series. All all I wanna do is talk about this stuff, so please please don't uh, feel afraid to approach me about it. But I think Easter is so much more than, than sometimes what we've made it in the church. I, I think if that we make Easter only being about Jesus washing away our sins, which, which to be clear, he does, and that's amazing and that's wonderful, but I think at Easter there is even more going on than that. I completely agree and I acknowledge and I realize and I'm thankful that even though humanity's relationship with God was out of alignment <laughs> ever since disobedience in the garden, I believe that the life and death and resurrection of Jesus has corrected that course. I believe that there is now nothing that can separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And I think that is some of the best news in the world. (laughs) I really mean that. But if we think that's all that Easter is about, I think we are limiting the love of God and we are limiting the power of the resurrection. We we maybe see it as Jesus setting the captives free, but not all the captives, like a good amount of captives. Jesus has set some captives free. That maybe we feel that death doesn't have the final word, except when it does. <laughs> that death has been defeated in some cases. <laughs> we think that, you know, Death kind of still has victory and unless we've said the sinner's prayer if we're evangelical. Or, or death still kind of has the victory unless we have been confirmed if we're Anglican. Or death still has the final word if we haven't confessed our sins and we're Catholic. But I think what this scripture from 1 Corinthians says is that Jesus' reign means that there is no authority or power, that he does not have dominion over, that he has not triumphed over. Death doesn't get the final word anymore, ever. Death tried to take Jesus away, but Jesus was not death's to take. I, I showed this image last year. I'll show it again because it blows my mind and I want to look at it all the time. And, and this is uh, what church all for 2,000 years Christians have called the harrowing of hell and you can see this is uh, Jesus and he's standing uh, and he's standing over the, the destroyed gates of hell and there's all bones and shackles that are, are under his dominion too and on his right arm is Adam and on his left arm is Eve <laughs> because he's gone all the way to the bottom all the way down and rescued those first ones out. I think this is what it means for death and hell to be defeated, that on Holy Saturday, when Jesus descended to the dead, he set the captives free, that hell tried to take Jesus away, but Jesus was not hell's to take. And this this is hymn that is sung in the Orthodox Church, there are two things. One of them was a sermon that has like actions, uh, like whenever I say death, you stamp on the ground to show that Jesus is stamped over death. We're not going to do that one, but we might do next year. It, this, is, this is another hymn that has just enraptured me this week. It's, it's written from the perspective of a hell that has been harrowed. It says this, Today hell cries out growing, groaning, I should not have accepted the man born of Mary. He came and destroyed my power. He shattered the gates of brass. As God, he raised the souls that I had held captive. Glory to thy cross and resurrection, O Lord. Today, hell cries out groaning. My dominion has been shattered. I received a dead man as one of the dead, but against him I could not prevail. From eternity I had ruled the dead, but behold, he raises all. Because of him I do perish. Glory to thy cross and resurrection, O Lord. Today hell cries out groaning. My power has been trampled upon. The shepherd is crucified and Adam is raised. I have deprived of those whom I had ruled. Those whom I had swallowed in my strength I have given up. He who was crucified has emptied the tomb. The power of death has been vanquished. Glory to thy cross and resurrection, O Lord. And with the harrowing of hell and the resurrection of Easter Sunday, let every knee bow, let every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, that Jesus shattered that pact between the death and hell and Satan, and he stands with Adam on one arm and Eve in the other, because he's gone all the way to the bottom. And hell's gates have been torn asunder, and the captives are being set free. John tells us that when Jesus is raised up, he will draw all to himself, all of them. And Satan is powerless. And despite hell trying to take us away, we are not hells to take. We belong to Jesus forever. Amen? Let's pray. Well, we pray for... We pray for those who are yet to hear you speak their name. And we thank you for the privilege of being able to be part of that. And Lord, where, where we still feel that there is triumph that doesn't belong to you, where there is power that doesn't belong to you, that there is dominion, that there is authority that doesn't belong to you, We pray more of you, Jesus, more of you, more of you, more of you. We thank you, we worship you, we love you, King Jesus. We ask these things in your name. Amen.